Hello and welcome back to the Making Things Work podcast. You may have been wondering where we've been uh, for the last couple of months and the fact is uh, we've been busy working on a number of projects and I've been part of a team of 15 people working on a, a separation of a business uh, that's been sold which uh, ends up being a significant uh, transformation in itself. But we're back and we've got some incredible guests lined up for you so be sure to subscribe. So on this show, we discuss topics around digital transformation and leadership in the workplace. I'm your host, Duncan Pryor, and I help organizations simplify and transform through the use of technology. In this series, we're covering a range of topics. And in our last episode, we met Therese Gale and discussed the Salesforce platform and sustainability, and specifically their, their MuleSoft product. Uh, you wouldn't necessarily think if you're working on a, uh, an IT transformation project, there's much you can necessarily do about sustainability, but there is. So please listen to uh, Teresa's podcast, and it's fascinating, and including some, some of the statistics around the, the use of electricity by, uh, by the, the, all the technology in the world. And even though we've recorded podcasts from different parts of the globe before, it was fun to talk to Therese, who had just moved to New Zealand. So today we're joined by Ben Paddock, and the truth is we've both been pretty busy uh, to get around to recording the podcast, but we've got loads of great stuff to cover, so it's great to get uh, the diaries organized, Ben, and hi there, welcome to the show. Hi Duncan, thank you for having me. Yeah, of course the great thing was that during this period where we were trying to get the, the meeting organized, we actually met at the BML.work event, which was a really nice surprise, and um it just rarely happens that I meet the people I speak with face to face, so it was really, really nice. What, what did you make of the evening? It was a great event, to be honest. It was in a, in a great surroundings in London, which is a lovely little uh, underground bar, and it was a good opportunity to share some uh, ideas and theories around how technology is taking place in the world today. Probably fueled by a few extra gin and tonics, but uh, <laughs> being a little bit more entertaining. But it was a lovely, lovely event. Great to be there, to be honest. Okay, so it's great to meet you and learn more about your business as well. So let's let's start by just asking you to just introduce yourself and uh, and your company. Yeah, hi. So I'm Ben Paddock. I am the co-founder of a small business called Contain. Uh, my role there is I'm the technical director. So I support my clients with uh, consultancy-led engagements to really try and help them understand how to use technology. And that spans across multiple domains. Fundamentally, it's how they adopt cloud services from people like Microsoft, such as Office 365 or Azure. And we also have a whole practice around how you secure technology. So we provide um, consultancy to help organizations mature their security operations, be that through strategy, compliance, people, process, operations, and technology. Uh, before my role at Contain, I was a IT leader for one of the UK's uh, larger construction companies. I was a leader there for eight years. And during my time, I had the pleasure of helping them uh, modernize, doing a lot of what you just spoke about before, actually, helping them modernize their technology portfolio from on-premise systems to those hosted in the cloud. So we actually did, we actually went through the process that we, we all talk about, helping people adopt modern cloud platforms in a way that is helps them uh, improve and gain efficiencies and bits and pieces like that and it was a great experience I've loved every minute of it and I had a great great 
great time there, great team. And yeah, I suppose what I'm trying to do now is take a lot of that learning and the 20 odd years of adding IT and work with other customers and other organizations to follow similar suits, really. Yeah. What was the vision behind Contain that, that gave you the kind of the impetus, as it were, to, to make that leap and start the business? Oh, I've always been quite entrepreneurial. I've right. always had a view that if you're going to run an IT department, you run an IT department as a service function. And as that service function, it needs to be well-defined in terms of how it operates, what service it's providing, how you structure and finance that service delivery activity. And, and we did that at that at the organization I previously worked for. And I think what that did is it gave me the confidence. So actually, I've been an internal enterprise IT leader for quite a number of years now. I've built a lot of maturity around service management and operations. I feel like I could use that, do that somewhere else. And actually, um, as luck had it, opportunities changed. The organization I went through was going through a bit of a global merger. And it gave me the, 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 the opportunity to rethink and yeah. go and set up myself. Um, and at the time, I was lucky enough to be able to uh, find uh, a, a, a group of people like-minded. Yeah. And uh, so it wasn't as scary as it might seem to go and set up your own organization and, and, and do everything with a sort of uh, just a team of, of team of one. So I think, yeah, it was great, great opportunity. Um, and here I am now. The vision is, is to sort of uh, grow this business, build on consultancy. That's obviously yeah. where we started from. But to slowly transform it into a, a technology reseller that can supply technology, but also to be able to add layers of uh, post-sale support and management. So I think the ultimate goal is for us to become a managed security provider. So hopefully the customers that we've helped them with the strategy and the product sales, but actually to then also help them uh, operate and maintain a secure environment in the future. And, and I think later on, maybe we can talk a little bit about that because actually security, having people with the right skills, capacity, and capability to provide the right level of service is critical, right? So I think yeah. that's the ultimate goal for Contain. Build an organization who can do that for smaller organizations who don't have that capacity themselves. Makes yeah, sense? fascinating. And that leads us, leads us nicely into the, today's topic. So whilst we could talk about um, many things, and when we've been talk, talking in the past, it's clear that we could have many, many conversations about a whole range of uh, transformation topics. But today we're going to talk about cybersecurity from a technical and business point of view and, and sort of from that digital transformation perspective. And we're also going to touch on AI briefly, which I don't think it'll be possible to avoid uh, uh, so at least some discussion of AI in all our discussions going forward. And I hope we end up perhaps recording many, many more of these podcasts over the coming months and years. So one of the fascinating things to me about, about the topic of cybersecurity is is the, 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 the vision for it when the IT complexity continues to increase all the time. What do you? What are you? What's your take on that and and the role of cybersecurity uh, in your role in the workplace? Yeah, great question. I suppose technology is getting more complex every day, right? Computers getting more uh, faster. They've been doing so for years. That means we can do more with them. Applications are becoming more complicated, taking on more functions and features, and giving technology to 
people who weren't used to previously using it, such as you've obviously seen how mobile it's taken off and so forth. I suppose it is a complex domain. And I suppose for most people or organizations, being able to stay on top of this fast changing environment and all the different um, threats that the newer ways of working introduces and managing the risks around those new threats, that's probably the hardest part, staying on top of how things work, what the risks and issues are there, and being able to remediate those issues in, a, in, in, in the same pace in which we're adopting this complex environment. I suppose the approach I would suggest to many is to try and make that way of evaluating the risks and threats simple. And the, and, and the way to do that is to reuse other people's practices and processes who have been through that, that journey before. And what that for me boils down to is adoption of common security uh, compliance and governance frameworks. And there's different scales of these frameworks, depending on the organizational's own complexity and capability to manage that. So for smaller businesses, something like Cyber Essentials is a fantastic framework to at least make sure you've got the minimum viable sets of uh, process and procedures and technologies in place to provide a secure work technology portfolio for that business. Larger organizations who have maybe uh, a, a wider array of systems, maybe have adopted the cloud, maybe have built applications or e-commerce systems and have more uh, transactions of higher value or handling data that may be seen as a more uh, confidential or value data asset need to provide something much more robust. And I would say in scenarios like that, we use frameworks like this or ISO 27001. I suppose the point here I'm trying to make is, is that adoption of these frameworks gives people something to A, visually work, see and work with in terms of their approach to this problem. And it ticks all of the boxes for, for, for the kind of areas that you need to focus on. Adopting a framework, though, can be seen as a bit over, uh, overwhelming. Some organizations, actually, if they're not regulated, don't see the need to apply a framework. My view is that, actually, you shouldn't see it as a complex or a governance requirement. It's a, a way of approaching the pro process or the problem as a process. Um, and it's also using something that's tried and tested. People like myself, consultants, or can help in the implementation of that through guided activities. Or you can even use software now um, to help you augment that workflow. So we use tools today. There are many of them out there. Um, the one we use is a product called Vanta. And it, and it helps you select the framework. It helps you enable to scope how that framework applies across your organization. Yeah. And then it helps you with the process of writing policies, procedures, communicating that to your workforce so they understand what these governance activities are about. Make sure that they've all read, understood. And then also it helps you with the deployment of these technology controls across your estate. So that we'll do things like monitor and manage the different servers, applications, user accounts, so you ensure they're in compliance with the policies that you set. If you take a pragmatic and systematic approach to that, that simplifies, going back to your point of the question, the overall way that you can manage risk and therefore provide a much more secure technology and workplace uh, for, for, for people.
I think doing it without that, it's very hit and miss. Some people might do it well. Some organizations might not do it so well. So yeah, I think that's, that's pretty the first way I would say to help try and simplify it. Yeah. Okay. So your starting point then really is, is, is from the people perspective, rather than like you say, the technology as such It's the people and the framework and and having a process, then you move forward on that basis. Yeah. People, process, platforms. It's always yep. those three P's, isn't it, right? Yeah. It's like if you can start with uh, making sure the people have got the right education. So it, let's just think about this. The leader or the key stakeholder in the business for overall cybersecurity, make sure they've got the training to help them or the partnerships with people who have got that experience. The process, make sure you're using the frameworks that have got those tried and tested policies and processes that you can apply to your organization. And then the platforms, making sure those platforms are all in line with what you specified. And I'd say today, going back to the complexity element, you said, uh, how is it getting more complicated? Well, we're getting more and more services, more computers, more applications, more clouds. Therefore, applying those policies and spotting gaps is where it becomes challenging. It's this a scale issue. It's a, it's a detail issue. I suppose then that the software I mentioned before, the one thing that you'll see in this next era is that the software will spot the gaps for you. It, we continuously monitoring the different systems, making sure that the baseline of configuration is in place so that you don't open yourself up to unnecessary attack uh, surfaces. And, and, and again, it's that that I think we'll, we'll all start to use more and more computers to help us maintain security so that the people have less of that responsibility themselves, where there's more likely to be errors and mistakes made opening us up to these possible pipes of attack. So it's in the past, would a common failing be that some companies might try to treat the problem from, a, like you say, the point technical solution to try to sort of plug the holes rather than take the framework approach you're adopting. But we're just at that inflection point where even if you did go down this point of trying to plug holes, there is software out there that will actually help you to to, to spot your weaknesses. Yes, yeah, that, and that's fantastic. What you just said there is perfect. If you look back over time, smaller organizations or those that don't have a holistic approach to how to deal with this will plug gaps. The most immediate risk would have been we don't have an antivirus software, let's put antivirus on. Yeah. We don't have a firewall, let's put a firewall in place. And that approach in an environment that was more simpler to manage probably treated a majority of the risks, yeah? And But as you say, as things are becoming more complex uh, by nature, then you have to have a much more structured and methodological approach to dealing with this. And that is where the frameworks lead. And I like what you just said there about how we spot these problems and using software for it. I mean, vulnerability detection and remediation is the next era of must-have technology. So I mentioned before about antivirus and firewall. We all have them. Yeah. I would say that probably not all organizations today have the right level of uh, system in place to scan that technology, looking for not only software vulnerabilities that they need their vendors to re- remediate and fix through software patches and updates, but also the configuration vulnerabilities. So... In today's world, um, there are, uh, I would say a huge, but there are a number of different baselines that you can use to evaluate how you define 
and uh, and check the posture of different systems. And today we're starting to see an era of different posture management tools uh, be released. So if I put into context, and you can use endpoint posture management tools to tell you if your Windows computers, be those laptops, servers, or your Mac or Linux devices have got the right settings applied, like encryption, password managers, local host-based firewalls. But then there are also new posture tools that deal with these new technology portfolios like cloud and applications and data, where we can evaluate things like, well, actually, all these services I'm pushing into, say, Azure, let's use that as the example, yep. have they also got the right uh, configurations? Like, are they in network security groups with the right level of controls on them? Do they have the right level of data logging so we can actually keep an eye on what these systems are doing? And then when those activities are not prevalent, a lot of presence, I should say, inform those people that we scored back at the beginning to make sure they go and apply the settings. And I think it's that connected loop of people, process, platforms, working in synergy to keep helping and mature the overall security posture of the organization over time. Yeah, it's really interesting because when you go when you go back all, all all those years, I guess the sort of perimeters were secure because you had a group of people in one office that was just using computers in the office. They don't take laptops home. You can you usually using hardware then to kind of control access from the outside to to to, to people's uh, computers. Yeah. And even so, even though uh, cloud technology provides all sorts of opportunities to simplify the infrastructure from a security point of view. It, in many respects, it's it's more complex. A hundred percent. So what you've described there is is that we was traditionally used to that network perimeter, yeah? That we went to the office, we had an office, we had a wide area network, and we had a firewall. And everything yes. inside the firewall was protected from the bad guys by what we let through the firewall, right? Yes. The world today has changed. That perimeter no longer exists in my organization anymore. That perimeter exists in the organization of Microsoft. If I'm using Azure or Office 365, it exists inside Amazon or Salesforce or any of those other applications that we may consume. So you're right. We have to now make sure that we don't just use a physical asset that we flow traffic through. We need to make sure that we've got a tool that can evaluate the configuration and the security posture of all these tools yeah, and report on them all. And I think... The original question we had was the complexity of it. The more of these points of reference that we have to monitor and maintain, that's where these, uh, you know, the, the, it's, it's the challenge. So now it's not just one person or that used to look after the firewall. The challenge is that you have to educate multiple teams responsible for multiple different systems to also participate in this overall uh, game of maturing your overall security posture and i think that's why again that framework we discussed at the beginning is important because if you can establish something that everybody at that sort of technology layer of responsibility for security can understand you will stand a chance of being able to follow suit and be able to make sure that your area is secure without relying on putting all the pressure on to a singular chief information security officer or a group of individuals in that team to follow you around and do that job for you because that's that's just not scalable at the pace that we're all going at today yes I mean, what i'm working on at the moment when these businesses are sold and uh, from one company to another and you have to sort of break off the entire it infrastructure 
So during the transition, you've essentially got sort of two networks, and then yeah. what's sort of revealed is is the the sheer number of systems and applications and and pieces of software that you then have to try to sort of unpick and then sort of put back together again. And yeah, it's fascinating how with particularly like you say with Microsoft three six five and Azure, it's enabling various. Um, services on the face of it just look so simple you could just show someone you just tick these things and and then uh you, you your your uh microsoft platform is is enabled in a way that in the past you would be you know installing software on servers but it's interesting what you're saying that the that doesn't make it doesn't make the um what you end up with from a cybersecurity perspective necessarily simpler There's certain things are easier to do but the yeah. complexity to do with people working all over the country at home in offices all, the, all those sort of questions yeah. makes the whole thing um, no, nowhere near as straightforward as it was in the past. No, no, no. And I mean, um, the, the, you added some points there that people now work in different places. People now use different tools. Ultimately, the way to distill this is not just a conversation around the people and the process element. We do need a different security technology architecture. Yeah. So, you know, we spoke about, uh, you spoke there about having a firewall. We well, still need a firewall today. You still need to route traffic through it to help people with uh, secure access when using websites. Yeah. But that firewall now needs to be outside of your network perimeter and also in the cloud so that people at home can access it in a nice, fast and easy way. So they're not adding the kind of latency that traditional network architectures, security architecture. Yeah. So you're right. There's this whole added complexity that you've got to, manage the transition from the old way of working and the new way of working that I suppose is, is quite challenging. And, and, and that point you made there as well about having an organization with a huge volume of different applications, network configurations, and so forth, the big challenge is from, for many larger organizations is that's probably been built up over time through maybe legacy acquisitions or just long-term on-premise technology investments that have not had the same level of monitoring and management that you would assume in a modern era, well, actually cataloging that and spotting those gaps is a segment that when we talk about vulnerability management, is really, really difficult. Yeah. But actually, is a positive. If you use the need to try and identify those assets and those risks with a, with the, as, a, as a need, and then look at the say the cost of doing that using a vulnerability or asset management tool. Okay, yes, you've identified your assets, and yes, you've identified the potential risks, and maybe you need to do some work to remediate those those cut remediate those. But you've also got some positive benefit there in the sense that if you invest into tools like that, you can actually also grow your infrastructure or application maturity around lifecycle management because you get greater picture of these assets and services. You can actually use things like sort of the dependency mapping in some of these tools to understand how they work and how data's flowing, and then use that not only for improving security, but improving your overall technology architecture and how you need to plan that in the future. Um, and I think that's something that we all need to do in the world of overly complex systems, keep focusing on driving down complexity through simplification and consolidation as much as we can. Yeah, and this is exactly what we're facing right now on some of the um, the projects I'm working on. It's exactly that identifying and understanding dependencies between systems is, is incredibly difficult because you, you just yeah. you literally don't know. Yeah, I wanted to ask you then if you've got 
Um, any any sort of examples of where you've you've had real success in doing that, particularly maybe with a smaller company where they don't they, they yeah they don't have an IT department if at all. Um, is, is there anything where you can you, that you're able to talk about to sort of highlight where this where this has worked successfully? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I won't name the companies because no. there's confidentiality. But yeah, we've done some work with some software organisations, so people who themselves are building applications to do a certain function, targeting things like on-premise and also themselves thinking about how to modernize the application for the cloud. So they are looking at um, how to prepare themselves for this way of, I'd say the difference there from a business perspective is they're moving from a world of supplying software where the primary risk is about securing the application package itself to a world of SaaS, where yeah. in this world of SaaS, their responsibilities expand. They're now, not only do they need to provide the software and the functionality they were used to, but they need to host it, make it available, ensure that all the data inside it has, you know, all the CIA functions, it's confidential, high integrity, massive, you know, availability throughout all of this service that they're now providing. So we've helped them with kind of road mapping some of this and looking at their choice of technology how that would be therefore secured. The organization is looking also to expand globally. So they are using the opportunity of moving that software to the cloud to extend their reach, to say, actually, we could use the cloud and access and sell the software in different workplaces across the globe. Fundamentally, one of those is America, where that technology portfolio will, 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 will work really well. So um, just winding back. So what we did is we engaged them early. We've helped them... Uh, do a bit of a risk assessment around their current practices. So what's that secure development like? So what's that software development processes look like? How are they managing secure security through the application development lifecycle? We've had looked at them, so look at that kind of uh, cloud DevOps procedures in terms of how they're setting up the cloud themselves. What's, I'm going back to what I mentioned before, what's the path approved patterns for the different components working together to meet the, the application needs? but also how does it have all the different uh, security needs in it? So things like adding web application firewalls, monitoring, and so forth. Uh, we've done that, and we've used the SOC 2 framework. So I didn't mention SOC 2 earlier. Yep. I mentioned NIST and 27001. But the reason we've used SOC 2 in that environment is it has a more international rec rec uh, recognition for a SaaS technology provider. So um, we've we've done the controls and governance around the SOC 2 framework. Um, and again, I, 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 we've used that Avanza product. It was a fantastic tool. It enabled me to not only do the initial risk assessment by mapping what they already had to the control set of SOC 2, but it then it was also enabled me to deploy that out very, very quickly. I mean, we've gone from not having uh, any sort of framework approved security tech uh, process more of an internally uh self-developed framework is is the posture they were in at the start so having a SOC 2 compliant one in probably under six months by the time we've completed the project um i think that's been a fantastic experience for us as contained because we've been able to uh, demonstrate our capability and it's also i'll be honest it gave us an opportunity to uh work with a small software engineering company and it helped us learn a little bit more about the real world of software engineering. It's very interesting. You could do a lot of consultancy around the theoretical way of doing secure software development and how the tools sit inside 
teams and activities like that. When you start to work closer with people that are actually using their tools and practices, you got to get to see some of the real world blockers or problems or nuances with these. So I think we've come up with some um, new ways of adopting the tools. That's I think that's kind of the, the way I would classify that. We see that there's actually a bit of value sometimes in uh, taking the tool and changing the way that it works to support a specific customer. And the contain is going to hopefully do a little bit more of that. I'll give you a perfect example. Um, when deploying a security framework like 27001 or even SOC 2, the compliance management companies, the ones that I spoke about before that, that kind of give you the policy and the detection of the controls in the organization, what they lack is the delivery function. What they don't do very well is give you the, the program of works, the work breakdown structure, the rough estimate on how much each activity is going to take to complete, and the relevant allocation of that to people so that you can track the delivery and the implementation of the security framework. And I think that for me has just been something where we were like, well, actually, probably consultancy firms in years past have held on to that knowledge, and that's kind of their own USP. But I think if going back, you're going to address the point we made earlier helping more organizations address that level of complexity in implementing tools like that. That's definitely something that contained Wolf, you know, all other organizations could, can, can, could go away and do. And I really like what you said because about the, the, the enablement part of it, because um, again, tra traditionally you might think of um, the whole subject of cybersecurity being about you know, threat detection and just everyone being pr pretty sort of frightened by that. But what you're saying is you can, you can, you can work with your 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 clients from to to show how the 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 work that you do actually enables them to grow as a business. It's it's not it's not just um, just about battening down the hatches. No, uh, I think that's a key point, right? Security probably in an era when we was just dealing with malware or threats yeah. to your firewall was seen as oh, it's just a defensive mechanism or an insurance mechanism. To stop something from happening yeah but actually the real world where we live in today security is a part of an overall technology maturity change right yes. and actually it's it's about well we're moving away from assets that were deployed to software defined everything and actually that software defined everything means we can do things more faster different capabilities etc and actually it's that software the innovation behind people creating different components of using software that creates their own internal, uh, sorry, their own technology and their own USP. So I think to just roll back, so I get my thoughts back in line, the, 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 the addition of security throughout all of that is you can do it robustly. You can do it securely. It means that if you are building technology that has value to your customers, they continue to retain confidence in you as an organization. Yeah. Yeah. And, the secure using a framework like a SOC, for instance, what that does is it enables you to speed up that confidence. It enables you to present something to an organization or to, to your own board for, from a risk perspective or to your customers around that. So yeah, I think it's very important that organizations don't just see security as a further layer of insurance. It is part of an overall enabling framework. Um, and as I said before, it's it's about us making sure that we are doing things responsibly, <laughs> both for our own selves and for our customers. Fantastic. So let's um, 
just take a small diversion into the world of, of, of AI, but we can talk about it in the context of, of, of cybersecurity. Because when we met a couple of months ago, it was just when the, the whole thing about ChatGPT had sort of exploded in the news and, and every, it was just in the news all day, every day. And then we met and you started to explain to me that, that on there's a level where AI can really help people to do their jobs uh, and technology people as well. It doesn't mean to say that they uh, say a technology professional loses their job because some AI thing can actually just do the job for them. Those These, these tools now, um, especially when you compare it with just searching on the internet for something where you kind of need to know what you're looking for before you before you before you put something in a search engine uh, with AI is an opportunity to, to to really get answers to questions so um yeah, just I just want to really just wanted to replay the conversation we had in the, in the bar that evening about how AI can help IT professionals yeah well we um it's interesting this, right? So since we've met, we've done an awful lot here in Contain around evaluating how large language models like ChatGPT can work for people. And I would say the thing that we're probably moving into is this era of co-pilots. We've seen Microsoft brand this term co-pilots, but right. let's, let's just use this loosely as a term for the time being. What I mean that this era we're going to move into is a level of added uh, knowledge and governance around what you do and simplifying how you do it. So the co-pilot, in my view, if we just apply it to security, for instance, will help different people with the activities they're already doing, not replacing the activity they're doing, yes. augmenting it and adding a level of information or knowledge to the role at the point in which they're doing it. So let's put it into context. If I am a security operations analyst in a SOC and my responsibility is to do threat hunting, the way I would do that today is I would have to be trained around the security information management system. I would have to be trained around the types of threats and the patterns of those threats. And then I would have to build probably a data-driven set of routines to look through the different parts of the security environment, identifying the data, and then presenting it to me of future interpretation and analysis, right? So in the world of co-pilot era, let's use the Microsoft Azure Sentinel co-pilot as the example that's coming, yeah? I would be able to, as a security operative, use basic knowledge to identify the threats and have the AI do the technology work for me. So if I said to it, I think we've got a, I could let me explain it in a sentence format and we've probably done the, what the engineer needs to do. Find me a workstation that's been accessed in the last 24 hours that had a potential ransomware event in the malware event space and then show me all of the systems it's accessed in the four or six or eight hours afterwards. Yes. I have constructed that as a language, a sentence. And ChatGPT, which is effectively the engine behind some of the co-pilot technology, it's the OpenAI GPT-4 uh, model, that would have translated that into um, a set of either uh, software commands, maybe PowerShell commands or something yeah. like that, or even uh, query language in a way that it, you know, and then the human hasn't had to do that. So straight away now, we're giving people 
who already sit in some roles, another layer of enhancing their capability, but we're also opening the door up to people who can't quite do this yet because they haven't got the formal training and support yet. So we could say, for instance, well, uh, maybe we could have given that uh, initial, um, has one of my machines had a virus in the last 20 minutes to the support team when doing triage. Yeah. yeah. So, so they, I think for me, it's like this initial co-pilot process is just going to help people with the way that they work by simplifying it because it enables them to explain what they want done in a way that they understand. And the, and the, the large language model behind it, that will interpret it and apply it to something way more complex than the level they're operating at today. And I mean, that's the kind of language model element. I think there's another era of AI as well that's coming, and that's this whole machine learning element, right? There's so much data inside our environment that for us as humans to either search it and even understand a lot of what it's doing in terms of the different interdependencies between systems and how that relates to each other in the different telemetry outputs, that's completely impossible for humans to do. Yeah, it's not like we're taking something away. We're going to give them a new way of doing something. So this is the era of machine learning, right? Machine learning is going to really help us scaling up this level of telemetry uh, analysis and uh, threat detection, and then also presenting to people, like in the scenario I just mentioned before, suggestions for them to go away and investigate. And again, that is phenomenal because it just means that again we're going to add another layer up. A potential capability around our improving our security and maturity. Yeah, yeah, it's really fascinating. I think we could do a whole, a whole uh, podcast on that very topic. And we did something similar. There's a similar sort of um, uh, topic, the topic of um, augmented reality, which is the same sort of thing where you can, with, with those tools, you can actually enable people uh, doing a job to be uh, trained more quickly. So rather than spending years uh, learning things and going on courses and then yeah, uh, you, you can only really then learn things by uh, the experience that you're able to gain. You've got an opportunity here now to to, to much more rapidly uh, get to a very high level of skill, which is what we all want. So I think that, that there's a, there's so the way I described Copilot then was more about how you use it in the point of doing something. Yes, yeah? I think there's an element that's going to happen soon. Maybe in an era when third-party vendors start to bolt on the LLMs into their own core products. So I think the, the scenario I'm thinking in my mind that's going to happen is that maybe the machine learning that monitors user behavior of people doing roles, interacting with Copilot, asking specific questions might be able to be used to channel in on what skills that person actually needs to do their job. Yes. And then if you combine it with the fact that we normally used to learn by going to do an activity, maybe researching how to do that activity, then doing it. Well, actually now, maybe we can take a more proactive approach to teaching people before they do that activity. So maybe that chat GPT co-pilot wizardry thing is actually in teams going, do you know what? In your diary tomorrow, you've got scheduled your uh, monthly risk report. By the way, here is your risk report template from last month. More importantly, here's the information I had from this month's machine learning activities yeah. around different types of threats. Oh, and by the way, I'll put some of that in your report for you to narrate yourself and put forward. So it's yeah. kind of like, yes, it's helping them do the job, 
It's helping them prepare for the activity. Oh, and by the way, one of those risks was, um, I mean, something really easy for me, the, 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 the private key uh, loss at Microsoft this week or last week. Uh, here's the report from that. Yeah. You need to read and learn so that when you go to meet someone about it, you're educated on that activity as well. And I think in all of this, we've not lost our job. We've just enabled ourselves to be a bit more in, uh, efficient and, in, in, and actually uh, intelligent in the way that yes. we're working. Yeah, yeah. rather than you're spending your evenings thrashing around with a spreadsheet where you're downloading information from here, there, and everywhere and manually sort of creating reports for some meeting, which is just, uh, yeah, yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, so to wrap up then, what, what are the three things that you would advise organizations to prioritize right now from a cybersecurity point of view? Um, good question. I, I, I think managing the humans is probably the, the most important part. We've touched on at the beginning, the free yeah. P, people process platforms, right? Technology is getting better at the platform level and, and it's going to incorporate more and more through that machine learning behavioral analytic user behavior analytics capabilities so be able to detect human error and fix some of that and prevent some of that from occurring however the humans are probably still the weakest link in the chain of of of, of attack right so or, or, or risk so one of the things i think every organization has to have is that employee training and awareness process culture of security help making sure that everyone understands their responsibility and how to adhere to policy, uh, to the governance rules and apply that and work with the tools in a safe and efficient way. So I think employee training and awareness. I think the second thing is obviously uh, process. We mentioned that earlier. The takeaway, go and look at process to help you, uh, sorry, security frameworks to help you embed that governance and operational procedures that you need. And I would say I'd complement that with as well, adopting a zero trust model. We haven't discussed that yet, but in the world we live in today, you have to start from a basis of trust no one, give no one no access, and only give them the amount of access they need to do their job. Yes. And I think that's a massively different concept from maybe the years past where the technology wasn't really designed well enough to enforce and manage an environment like that. I yeah. think that's definitely something that the later, more modern cloud software processes or software applications are, are making a, a simpler and more intuitive way of managing. And then I think from a platforms and technology perspective, I would say you need to have those vulnerability tools in place. You need to make sure that they are uh, connected and monitored by people who can understand them and appreciate the different vulnerabilities in context of where they are in the environment. So basically focusing on those vulnerabilities that are the real problems in the business, not being distracted by all the different components that may be vulnerable to an attack, but so insignificant or so isolated, it's not going to cause a massive issue to your business. Um, and focusing on, uh, oh, probably focusing on having the right suite of um, detection and automated response capabilities. Right. So not only have you seen something happen in your endpoint or in your cloud using some sort of um, uh, uh, detection and logging and then analysis, 
but actually focusing now on also automating that response. You know, these attacks occur 24 7, 365, and the speed of the attack can sometimes be anything from days, weeks, months to even microseconds. So, relying on humans to do all of that is going to be really, really difficult. So, making sure you get some sort of automated detection and response in place as well. I think the combination of those three things probably is what will put most people in a great position to, to be in a much more secure uh, environment. All right. Well, thanks very much. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll leave it there and I um, hope we get a chance to meet again soon and uh, and also to record uh, another podcast. But particularly, I think there's a lot we can delve into in the world of, of AI as we just touched on there. So thanks very much for, for joining us today. And what's the best way that the listeners can get in touch with you? Uh, well, I'm on uh, LinkedIn. I'm Ben Paddock on LinkedIn. So you can find me there. And I am also uh, obviously got an email address. My name is Ben contain.co.uk feel free to send me an email there as well all right thanks very much um you can find me on uh twitter as well and linkedin as uh, duncan Pryor. and you can catch up on all the episodes including series one on the bml digital website or searching for the making things work podcasts on your preferred audio app and if there's someone you should think you should uh, you would like to be on the show do let us know because we really like being introduced to as many people as possible and we'll be back next month with the next episode. So thanks very much for listening, everybody. And thanks again, Ben. Thank you, Duncan. Bye.